Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFC News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, Features Editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Uh, Francis, Tyler, thank you so much uh, for joining me once again this week. Obviously, Tyler, me and you have had a very busy week being at the Pay360 conference, um, but how, how are you guys doing today? Well, yes, Polly, we were at uh, Pay360 this week. Very, very busy. Oh my goodness, it's, it's all just a blur in my memory, to be honest. But it was great to catch up with with a lot of the... Uh, the industry and and see all of the payment innovation happening around the world in one room. So yeah, it was it was really really great, and I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing our interviews being published. So yeah, it should be great. H- how about you, Francis? Yeah, guys. I mean, I'm happy to be back. Obviously, last week I wasn't here, and yeah, no, I'm I'm just excited to be back uh, from my time off. It was an enjoyable enjoyable time away. But yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy to be back here talking fintech with you guys amazing stuff amazing stuff and what are we going to be discussing this week uh tyler what are you going to be talking about well there's a really new directive uh from the payment services regulator and uh essentially what it's going to do is stamp out authorized push payment fraud uh, and it's, it's a huge initiative that they've launched uh just just this week so we're going to be bringing that to the table um what about you polly amazing stuff and i'm going to be looking at how the uk government has funded um, an innovation lab to advance fintech regulation research in Scotland. Um, and Francis, how about you? My article is going to be on something quite timely, I'd say. We've heard of ChatGBT, and I'm going to be discussing how fintechs are going to be able to experiment with the the AI in integrated business planning process following Jedox's integration. Fantastic. Does anyone want to go first? Yeah, I don't mind going first. I can, I can, I can get the ball rolling if if that's all right with you guys. Awesome. Go for it, Tyler. Kick us off. Yeah, wicked. Well, yes, as I as I just mentioned in the in the intro, the payment services regulator has really sort of gone after the payment service providers, the 14 largest in in the UK. And essentially, in a nutshell, uh, the regulator wants these PSPs to demonstrate how effectively they're handling authorized push payment fraud. Now, the 14 PSPs in question here are AIB, Barclays, HSBC, Lloyds, Metro Bank, Monzo Bank, NatWest Group, Nationwide Building Society, Northern Bank Limited, Santander UK, Starling Bank, the Cooperative Bank Group, TSB Bank and Virgin Money UK. Although this group is very, very varied in their service, they account for about 95% of the UK's transaction volume. So I really do see that the payment service regulator has sort of got a really good scope on who they want to target with this initiative. Speaking of which, basically what they want to do is they've commanded these 14 PSPs to supply figures on how well they handle APP scams. More specifically, they are looking to receive figures on the amount of, well, on on a lot of different elements, actually. But first of all, they want to know the amount of 
people who do not get reimbursed from APP scams, the rates of APP scams happening at sending payment firms and the rates of APP scams happening at receiving payment firms. Uh, and they've put a deadline on this of May the uh, 2023. So they've got two months to to get everything together, after which the regulator will publish the data publicly uh, this coming October. Now, that isn't the end of this initiative. In fact, the data will have to be updated every six months. And it's it's really sort of time to walk the walk for these payment uh, service providers. I think above all, what it was really sort of hoping to achieve is making really public data uh, for consumers to look at and be like, right, who who is combating this the best? Who's not combating it the best? Where can I put these my money? Where who's in, whose services should I be engaging with? Uh, and I think you know we've seen a lot of initiatives from the regulator. Well, a lot of regulators really sort of pushing for this sort of transparency in in the in the industry. We've seen it a lot with the consumer duty, of course, by the FCA follows a sort of similar similar initiative uh, in delivering a similar goal. And I, yeah, I really think it's, I really think it's a time of reckoning for for the 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 industry and the fourteen largest that I've that I've just mentioned as well. I think in terms of whether tech comes into this, of course, they they're they're the fourteen largest, so they will have the resources and the ability to to correlate this data and and provide it to the regulator. I think it will be a time. I mean, two months isn't a long time, but I think it will be a call for them to be like, oh, you know, we've got to use technology to to present all of the data. And what's more, maybe I've forgotten to mention, but it's actually, they're taking it on like a banking group basis. So for, for NatWest Group, for example, it will include all of its subsidiaries and related uh, initiatives. So I think, I think in terms of of the re- the regulation, I think this is a really really good move by the PSR. I think we've, you know, it's no secret that APP scams are are on the up. Um, we we've seen data indicating massive climbs of thirteen percent in these types of fraud. They they are probably the most prevalent or one of the most prevalent types of scams in in the payment industry now. And I think the regulators just being like, you know, enough is enough. It's it's time for you to come clean with with how you're handling this. And above all, I think once this data is published, I think it will really encourage market participants to be like, okay, we've got to, you know, pull ourselves together and have have the right resources to combat this and to, to deliver to our customers. Because uh, it's really important. And I think, you know, in terms of the accessibility of the data, Consumers will have full insight into who who to choose, so it could be it could be a real real moment of reckoning for the industry. What what do you guys make of this? Obviously, I think there's there's not too many bad things to draw from it. But Polly, why don't we why don't we go from go to you? What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree, Ty. There's there's not really much negative that you can take out of this. I think anything that helps to combat fraud, which we know is a really big issue, sort of just across the board. Um, yeah, at the moment, but has been for a while, you know, fraud just always seems to be a really prevalent issue. And especially now with these authorised push payment scams, I think I read from the payment services regulator that their figures show that £249.1 million was lost to these scams in the first half of 2022 alone. So obviously that's a huge, 
huge figure um, and so anything that can help sort of combat that is is only going to be a good thing and I think it's great that um, they've got all the big banks involved uh, to this direction accounting for the, obviously the 95% of the UK's transaction volume I think that's so important um, and yeah just just generally I think this is a really great move by the UK regulator to help get some more transparency in sort of into payments and as well as into the fight against fraud and hopefully that there will be a difference but obviously there is always that niggling feeling in the back of your head where you're like mm, well I'm sure fraudsters will figure out another thing to do uh, because they are so quick and so dynamic to to react unfortunately and and fraud has always been a thing uh, but hopefully this will make a, a good impact uh, to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'll also be a really good opportunity for for you know the best people in the industry to also highlight this is what we're doing, this is how well we're achieving, these are the tools we use to to combat this kind of fraud. And we, we see a lot of highlighting of that anyway. But I think in terms of the whole sort of the wider picture of of incoming regulation that we're seeing, I, I'm really relieved to see this sort of heightened level of transparency, especially around payments and, and scams. I think it's it's well des- it's deserved by the the consumer, and I think that the banks really should now is you know now is the time to consider how you, how you deal with fraud and and the avenues you choose to take in doing that. Francis, what's your take on this? Yeah, I think I just want to echo what you've just said there, Tyler. Really, it's that it gives organisations and sort of banks an opportunity to really showcase what they're doing to sort of ensure customer security really and sort of show that they should be the the chosen you know provider because at the end of the day i think we we always like to highlight it at the fintech times but we are in a customer driven world right now and in that sort of sense you know i think it really any opportunity that an organization or fintech or bank or anyone really has to sort of show that they are better than their competitors they should really sort of jump at the opportunity and I think this this is a really good a good opportunity to do just that. And I mean, as well, I think it is it, it helps because you know transparency is is something we're always looking to improve upon. And I think when when looking at sort of how many big banks have been fined by you know regulators, the FCA, or going abroad like perhaps the SEC or something like that, at the end of the day, these regulators are finding that just because you're a big bank doesn't mean you're immune to sort of fraud or to anything like that. And I think this really is a, a sort of a way to uproot any sort of internal fraud that's been taking place and sort of a, a chance to sort of really ensure that no money laundering is happening and that, you know, these organizations are being sort of honest. And I mean, that might be wishful thinking, but at the same time, anything that we can do to sort of help achieve that, I think is good. And I think this is exactly that is a, is a means to help achieve clear transparency and like you said it is just a good opportunity for organizations to showcase you know their their regulated um services absolutely i i I think in terms of just sort of a closing thought i do have a single critique of this initiative and that is that there is of course the the may deadline for the for the data to arrive but then there's a five-month delay in the data being published and i'm just wondering how accurate the data will be given the, the 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 gap in receiving and then publishing it will will the will their tools change in that time will they be encouraged to invest in in uh, fraud fighting tools 
between that time because it won't come up on the, on the data. Or maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe maybe it will be updated just before it's published. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. But in that case, why wouldn't you just make it an October deadline? Or why not just publish in May? I, I'm not really too sure. Um, but all, all in all, good initiative. Um, who who else is next? Who's who's who would like to go in the hot seat next? Yeah. So moving on slightly from you know regulations, I suppose, and looking more towards trendy topics. I mean, ChatGPT has really blown up over the past, I want to say, six or so months, maybe even the past year, really. I mean, time has flown by. I completely lost track of it. But it's something that, you know, we we can't ignore anymore. AI has developed to an extent that everything is being answered. I mean, we've seen sort of how deep fakes work and we've seen how, you know, anyone and everyone now has access to to AI technology, which is is ultimately just crazy. And in, in line with this, you have to think that, with this availability, organizations must take advantage of it and make sure that they're doing everything they can, which is to integrate these services into or in, integrate these products, I should say, into their services to, to better improve it. Because you, I think it, it does two things, really. It allows customers to recognize a name. And in doing so, it allows it allows the organizations to to build customer confidence because it's something they recognize, it's something they know. And that's ultimately a good thing. So Jedox, a provider of enterprise performance management solutions for financial planning and analysis, has created a chat GPT integration model, which enables fintech sales, HR marketing, supply chain and ESG teams to experiment with generative AI in their integrated business planning processes. So Jedox customers can now use the company's chat GPT integration to enhance predictive analytics generated by the Jedox AI assisted planning solution. AI-assisted is fully integrated in the platform to better forecast revenue, demand, cash flow, and customer loyalty. Combining these tools enables teams to identify drivers within the greatest impact on the business. This is in, an, in addition to generating uh, a supporting description. So offering an example of the efficiencies and insights that can be unlocked by the integration, a spokesperson at Jedox said, our chat GPT integration can easily display a monthly management report alongside the chatbot on the front end so users can adjust their parameters and get insights from chat GPT side by side. This makes planning simpler because users do not have to spend time gathering data from multiple sources or, th- or using third-party AI tools. They can, visual- they can visualize everything in one place and easily share it with other team members. So I really wanted to discuss with you guys, you know, we see, I guess, you know, technology removing the need for, for human interaction. So here, for example, you, we, we're no longer seeing sort of you know, I, I guess potentially like accountants coming through saying this is what we we've realized. This is how we believe you should go ahead with your finances. Now it's showing that it's bringing everything to the forefront and making the suggestions for you. Now, sure, you do need someone to sort of authorize those suggestions to think, oh, is this applicable to us? Is it not? You never know. But I thought it was an interesting conversation to have with you guys. And yeah, I just wanted to see really your thoughts on sort of the human touch, if you will. Is it something that needs to stay or or is it something that can be replaced? I mean, is this chat GPT integration something that we're going to start to see on a bigger scale or is it or is it quite a niche product? Tyler, I'll go to you first. Well, I think, first of all, it's it's hard to deny the 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 full power of of chat gpt i think it's really really come up in the industry obviously we saw microsoft make a 10 billion dollar investment uh into open ai the developer of of the software 
I think it's I think it's a really handy tool. Um, I we have used it uh, ourselves. So we're you know very familiar with it, but I think from my personal experience, I know that it's not always right, and I don't know how dependent uh, these businesses should be on on its results. I think I think it's a very handy tool to have, and it's a, it's a, almost like a digital assistant in a way. But I wouldn't like to see you know going oh it's fine it's highly dependent it, you know it can run the show like you know like when you see people in teslas who are asleep at the wheel and and, and the tesla's driving them about it's a bit of a random example i know but i i would just like to i, I wouldn't underestimate the benefits of of human insight it was something that we quizzed one of our interviewees on uh at pay 360 this week and i said you know it's good to use AI in a lot of instances, but also, you know, what? How, where is the need for that human intervention? And they completely agreed. They said, oh, gosh, you know, we've, we've got to have this sort of human insight into AI as well. So I think it's I think it's very good. I think it's um, it'll it'll come as a benefit for sure. And I think it's it's technology is definitely applicable in this instance. But yeah, let's not let's not become too dependent on it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think you're spot on. It, it really is. As you mentioned, we've, we've all sort of had experiences where it's been wrong. And I feel like if you don't have anyone checking to make sure that the, you know, what it's producing is right, it's so easy just to, to become dependent on something like that, just out of sheer laziness, I suppose, because you would just assume it's going to be correct, because I'd say eight times out of 10 it is. But on that, those two times, it could be extremely costly. And especially from a financial standpoint, when you're looking at sort of business integrations and sort of seeing, you know, how you can really go forward and, and improve a company. If you're, if you're dealing with the wrong numbers, that can be incredibly costly. But then it brings forward the idea that if you don't need, or if you're going to be checking it anyway, why have it in the first place? Is it something that's necessary? Is it not? You know, Polly, what do you think? I think I agree kind of with what you guys have said already. And that I think ChatGPT is like a really good tool. And if that tool is used properly it can be you know a game changer for a lot of things you know not just fintech industry not just like chat like that but like just generally speaking in life it can be a very useful tool for a lot of people companies whatever uh, but i do agree that there does need to be some kind of oversight there I don't, you can't get rid of the human element entirely i think that's just not it's just not feasible realistically like you were just saying Francis it's you know it's right most of the time but when it's not right that's when you're going to start having the issues and I do think it is important to say that obviously AI isn't new uh well chat GPT obviously has kind of grown in popularity very recently and is very trendy at the moment AI has been around for ages and there's always been sort of AI bots that you can talk to and ask questions and things like that I just at the moment this one seems to be the one that's pretty good and everyone quite likes um but I guess I think sort of just in terms of like the AI and ChatGPT and using it in both kind of, you know, in the fintech world and beyond and however you want to use it, I guess. I don't think you can get rid of that human element. There's got to be someone there checking and making sure it's OK, because I think what else might happen is that you do run the risk of it getting very repetitive um, and obviously that's more, I guess, on the on the content side of things, obviously being journalists, I'm sure we've had lots of conversations 
I know I've had lots of conversations with very different, various different people in the industry, the journalism industry, about like, oh, Chat GPT is going to take our jobs and blah 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 blah. Um, and actually, I don't think it's going to because otherwise everything's just going to get very very repetitive. It can only sort of churn out what's already there and kind of see what's already there and make new from that. So, I think having that human element in combined with ChatGPT and using it for the really cool tool that it is and getting the best out of it, I think is going to be an idle situation. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And I did have a conversation, um, again, this is more thinking about a journalism side of things rather than the fintech side of things, but I did have a conversation with one of my colleagues um, from the industry a while ago who said that she thinks that having human generated content or like a human element or whatever is going to be like a a differentiator like people will start advertising the fact that they have people generated content or that you're talking to a person rather than a machine Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting Um, but yeah you know it's a tool AI has always been around it'll be interesting to see how we keep going whether there'll be a new cool shiny AI that we can talk about next week or, or something like that I think that's a really, really cool point. This idea of, you know, it is going to be advertised that it's, you know, this is a human. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I'm looking to, you know, get like customer support from sort of anyone or anything, I mean, let's let's use our, my bank, for example. When I've had issues with my bank, I've always said to them, or I've always sort of looked to get in contact with someone. I hate using a chatbot and I hate using the frequently asked questions. I'm always directly going, how can I get in contact to speak to someone? I want to know that I'm speaking to someone who understands this situation, who un- who who can actually sort of tailor a response. And I guess this comes again into that sort of question of, you know, we are in a customer driven world and like, me as a customer, I want that. There is definitely going to be that sort of service provided by someone. And I think I'm not alone in that idea that, you know, I prefer speaking to someone in, in terms of that, something like that. Um, so no, I, I completely agree. And I think it will be quite cool to see, especially like like you say from our journalistic standpoints that this was created by human you know because then i think you know how we get copyrights of stuff i think it, it will eventually get to a point where perhaps you're copywriting your own articles to say like because anything that we put out on the internet the ai will adapt and in, in, include in it in its churned out responses so i think it is a really interesting sort of point of view to to have that you know this is this was made and created by a human before we move on, I just want to say, I, in a moment of pure ego, I did ask ChatGPT if it knew who Polly Jean Harrison was, and it did not. Uh, so it doesn't know the whole internet, clearly, because there Do is... Do you know what, though? I think I've looked it up, and it, it did say, did you mean Francis Bignall, a journalist at the Fintech Times? Oh, so it knows who you are, but it doesn't know who I am. Oh, what can I say, Polly? What can I say? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Anyway... <laughs> But yeah, why don't we go on to your article last? I was say my go now. Um, right. So from AI to innovation to, I guess, very similar things. Uh, but essentially, Fintech Scotland has secured funding from the UK government to help accelerate innovation within Scotland's fintech space. Uh, so all the funding aims to advance research and innovation, uh, particularly in financial regulation. Um, and so this is in partnership with the universities of Strathclyde and Glasgow, Uh, The fintech community has plans to create a new collaborative centre of excellence called the Financial Regulation Innovation Lab. Um, And this lab is going to focus on using new technologies to help accelerate different efficiencies, revolutionise risk management and shape future regulatory developments. 
So essentially, this is a very exciting time to be uh, a fintech in Scotland, I think. Um, And it'll be really interesting to see how this all ties in with the roadmap that was launched in March 2022, um, and as well as the recently announced UK Innovation Initiative, um, the CFIT formed in response to the HM Treasury uh, fintech sector review. So essentially, this lab is going to work kind of across the industry uh, and develop a few different sort of major actions, such as, you know, a sandbox to help test and advance fintech innovation, different facilities to help new businesses uh, accelerate their path to commercial success, different academic research, helping to advance the deployment of tech in finance, etc, etc, etc. So essentially, just lots of very exciting things are happening in Scotland. And the kind of the reason that I want to talk about this today is, once again, I'm just quite interested in talking about fintech in different hubs that aren't necessarily the major ones that you think about. Obviously, we know that London is a huge fintech hub and there's so many like major fintech places all across the globe. But there are other places that have fintech uh, centres and a lot of different fintechs that are there ready to nurture, being super innovative. And obviously, Scotland is one of those places. Um, and it's really nice to see you know, the recognition and commitment of the UK government to the potential of fintech within Scotland. And I think it's really important to sort of highlight these different smaller areas that are no less important than some of the larger areas, because uh, hopefully this is going to be a pretty groundbreaking initiative, I guess, and it will bring together people in the industry, universities, regulators, and so many different sort of fintech people to help revolutionize the future of financial regulation so i mean i feel that feels like a lot of buzzwords and it it sounds quite sort of dramatic but it it could be a pretty exciting pretty exciting thing um so i'd love to get your guys's uh, opinion on this what do you think i guess especially about these kind of like smaller hubs i know we talk a lot about um kind of leveling up the uk fintech and we talk a lot about the different places within the uk especially that have little nice little pockets of fintech like Scotland, like Wales, Manchester, all across the UK. What do you think? Do we need to be nurturing these places more or are they doing are they doing all right on their own and, and moving on swimmingly? Uh, Francis, I'll ask you first. I don't think there's ever really a cap on growth. I don't think you can ever sort of say somewhere has grown enough and that therefore you should focus elsewhere. I mean, you can look at that from two perspectives. You can look at it from, you know, a massive hub spot like London, or you could look at it from, a, you know, a smaller one like the ones in Scotland, like you mentioned. And I think ultimately it works in both in both ways. You know, the startups that are created down south, you know, if they are created in London or wherever they're created, I don't ever see there being a world where it isn't good. The only issue that I could potentially see is like maybe oversaturation of, you know, a specific subsector in the market. But even then, I think it's difficult to say if it's oversaturation or just good competition. Um, I think that is where, you know, perhaps going to a smaller hub to sort of get the, that, you know, I guess it's maybe a a less competitive environment, which could bode well, or it could be a negative, you know, and I think there is a sort of a fine line and it probably differs from organization to organization on what they're looking to achieve, you know, what their aspirations are. Um, But I think, you know, for the on on the whole, as sort of a sweeping statement, if you will, I, I think it is really good to see, you know, growth in these in these smaller hub spots. Cause 
whichever way you look at it, everywhere was, <laughs> I mean, this is, is quite sort of cliche, but everywhere was once a small hub spot, right? And it, and it did grow to be whatever it was. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it, it, it's a really good thing to see and I hope we continue to see it in the future. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, there, there's no such thing as too much growth. Uh, but I really like your point about sort of oversaturation versus competition. I think that's a really interesting line to balance. And I, I wonder if anywhere's got there yet in terms of fintech and fintech competition. Uh, so that's a really interesting thing that I kind of want to look more into. Um, but Tyler, what do you think? Well, I think this is a really, really interesting story to to bring to the table, Polly. I I completely agree with the conversation so far in that, you know, we I don't really see any ceiling to growth in terms of Scotland specifically, we saw in 2022, uh, Scottish fintechs received £305 million worth of funding. Uh, and that was an increase of 200% from, from the funding they received in 2021. This really reminded me of a similar innovation lab that Fintech Scotland launched with TSB in June of last year. And that was based in Edinburgh, first of all, but that was specifically to help sort of SMEs grow their businesses and develop products and to help consumers deal with the challenges of cost of living crisis. So I think that fintech and especially Scotland more specifically is is really being recognised as a powerhouse of innovation within this industry. I think that it's it's done well to position itself within the fintech scene. And you know, newer initiatives like these, like the 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 one we're talking about here, is is just sort of going forward and confirming that. So I think that you know, innovators and the world believes that Scotland it really is a promising scene for 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 growth and development. I think that's really confirmed by the the amount of funding that's flowing into. Scotland and and the sort of the wider northern region if you will so so yeah in terms of the UK more specifically I think I think it's initiatives like these that are, are helping to make the power of fintech more widespread so yeah yeah way to go Scotland amazing stuff yeah Tal I think I agree with everything you said so it's it's one of those things where kind of similar to some of the other stories you can't really have a negative with this sort of thing Um, And it'll be exciting to see uh, what Scotland does with all this funding. So looking forward to that future. Uh, But thank you so much, guys, for bringing those articles to the table today. If you would like to hear any more about anything we've talked about today or anything else about the fintech world, head on over to fintechtimes.com, where you can find plenty more news and insights all about the wonderful world of fintech. Uh, But very quickly, let's move on to what I learned this week. So each week... Being on the editorial team, we get so much news and insights and new information crossing our desks that we thought it would be fun to share that with our listeners. Uh, so Tyler, what have you learned this week? Well, this week I was covering a report by Quad Orbis and it was really, really damning on the state of compliance in UK businesses in, in the fact that only one in 10 businesses surveyed have an actual sort of readiness to to comply with regulation and over half had like a really fragmented system of compliance and and uh, regulatory standards. So it was it was quite concerning, uh, given you know now that we're talking about the PSR. I, I think um, I don't know. I think uh, th- there's more work that needs to be done in that area. What about you? 
So what I learned this week actually came from when we were at Pay360 and I got to speak to Lord Chris Holmes. Um, we had a really interesting conversation about sort of like diversity, accessibility and inclusion within the financial world. Uh, but there's one thing that really sticks out of me that I just really wanted to share. And essentially, uh, I asked him, uh, why should businesses uh, diversify? Why should we care about diversity and inclusion? And essentially, he replied, diversity or die. Uh, which I think is just a fantastic phrase and one that is very, very true. Um, and yeah, obviously, if you want to hear more about that, we'll wait till that interview comes out on the website shortly. But diversity or die, I thought, yeah, that, that's a good one. Uh, but Francis, what did you learn this week? Feels like everything has been sort of chat GPT orientated this week. But what I learned this week was that Klarna, the, the massive BMPL service, has collaborated with OpenAI to bring a personalized and intuitive shopping experience to ChatGPT. Consumers can install a Klarna plugin from ChatGPT's plugin store, and once installed, they can ask the service for shopping ideas to get a curated selection of items relevant to their request. And, you know, having spoken about already this, you know, in, in, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like integration? I thought this was really, really cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Francis and Tyler, for joining me this week. It has been a pleasure, as always, to talk about fintech with you. Um, and I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, guys. See you next week. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.